Episode 28 of the Better With Running podcast. Once again, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Zach Newman. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good to be back on the airways, Matty. We've been able to uh, wrangle the, the microphones back off Jack and Josh after, after last week where they did their takeover. It was a, a cracking job. We've been getting some really good reviews off the back of that one. Yeah, we have. I had a great listen to it as well. And yeah, the boys did really well. And I think we'll, uh, we'll be um, calling back their services in the not too distant future. Yeah, and there's a little bit of rumour in the, um, in the group, Run to PB coaches group chat around um, some other prospective uh, hosts in the future. And Sophie and Maddie and Gemma, their names have been bandied around for maybe later in the month. So um, we'll have to get into the negotiations with them and see if we can get them on the airways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, looking forward to that. I reckon they'll, they'll do a great job and, yeah, they might take over from us, uh, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> um, so the window, Zaka, for um, the, virtu- the Run to PB Virtual 5K is opened. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty interested to hear how your training has progressed over the last week, um, yeah, in the lead-up for this. Yeah, it's exciting that this, uh, this sort of two-week window is open now for the 5K. We've had a lot of... Uh, really positive feedback online and a lot of people joining up and I think just and like we mentioned last week when this event was was previewed is that just giving us all an opportunity to to have a crack at a, at a run and um, test ourselves over you know what's been a, a you know, challenging training block for a lot of us so yeah I'm excited I've uh, yeah clicked in the gear been doing some good sessions Maddie I've been uh, obviously trying to keep you updated on um, where I'm at so yeah I was able to get out um sort of been been watching your Strava pretty closely and sort of emulated part of your session the other day where I did some three-minute efforts and, yeah, did a, a tempo before it and it came out really good. Just did it out at the um, Yarra Boulevard and it was good just to, uh, I think with the 5K, just to push into that, um, you know, that, those hard reps and that pace where you kind of feel it in that three to 4K uh, part of the race or part of the time mm-hmm. trial. So, yeah, simulate a bit of that. Um, been hitting over the hills. I've been utilising um, the area for um, sort of like split sessions, do, do a tempo, do some hills and then back into a tempo. I've always found that session um, gets me up and going. Mm. And yeah, so enjoying uh, this little training block and they're pretty keen to have a crack at it next weekend. Yeah, so what you've done one session yesterday and you'll get another one out tomorrow. And so you're going to stick with sort of the two sessions a week or are you going to drop it back down to one next week or what are you thinking? Yeah, I've been sort of working on a cycle um, just off the back of the last few weeks or the last few months where I probably was sort of sitting in around that two sessions um, every three weeks and then having a down week where I just did the one. But uh, as I've been able to sort of get my mileage up and start to get back into that, long run, mid-week runs, now that the, the 60-minute restriction's out, I can, mm. yeah, can comfortably hold two sessions um, a week and I probably don't need to take that down week. So, yeah, it's, um, I'll, I'll get out another session tomorrow and 
and yeah, start to feel like I can get a bit of back end strength off doing the longer runs now. Like I was able to do 75 minutes uh, last week and I'll, you know, be out at sort of 80 minutes on Sunday. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's good fun getting, uh, getting fit again. Yeah. I think that was a smart running by you as well. Um, coming out of sticking to the 60 minutes um, and then not just, you know, I mean, as much as you kind of think, oh yeah, I've got two hours now I can spend outside. Let's just, you know, pump it up to 90 minutes or yeah, potentially two hours, but now you've gone, I'm going to steadily progress rather than I've seen a few people just, um, yeah, stick to the 60s and then all of a sudden they're, they're, you know, knocking out 90 minutes, two hours. Um, And then, yeah, it's just such a risk for that, for increasing that much when you've had six weeks of, um, yeah, only, you know, hitting sort of, 13, 14K to all of a sudden hitting, you know, 10, 10 plus more Ks on top of that long run. Um, I just don't think it's worth it right now um, with, with races. Exactly. Obviously not. We're still still a fair way away from races. So I think, yeah, you've done really well and done, done some smart training there. Yeah, and I always like chatting to athletes. It's like, it's, I'd rather them, you know, like let's just for the sake of trying to add in an extra, you know, 10, 20 minutes here and there, Let's just get through the overall week, uh, week on week, have some small increases, but at least, at least be still in the game rather than taking these risks where that can, you know, unfortunately put you out for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And Maddie, you're, um, you're just looking through, you've had some, um, some solid weeks, um, putting them back to back now. The workout, you had a workout today. You want to take us through what you did? I'm just going to actually um, have a bit of a creep into your Strava, mate. And it's got um, your title of 15 minute tempo and, four by 400 so having a look at the map there you actually utilize some is that a grassy sort of section out next to the track that you have there in uh it's in mornington is it yeah yeah it is yeah um yeah i've actually never never done a um a session or actually even a run out there um but yeah it's yeah within the 5k so um i was i was keen to um yeah because like on I'll just go back to Tuesday. I did some um, 1K reps. I really like hitting a good set of 1Ks before a 5K and trying to hit them probably just quicker than 5K pace. Um, And then, yeah, so that went well. Um, So this session was more about trying to, um, yeah, just keep in touch with that sort of tempo pace around 320s, um, which I I hit on the grass there. Um, Yeah, and that that felt um, pretty good. It was, I was probably working a little bit harder than um, what I'd like to have been at that pace. But I think that's also um, taking into consideration the grass factor. And it was so windy. Like it, it sort of sits on top of a hill and, and the winds, I checked before the run, were 35 kilometres per hour northerlies. And yeah, I, was, I had to take the hat off because it was kept blowing off my head. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so the, the aim was to get something out that's a bit slower than 5k pace um, which was around yeah that three sort of 20 mark and then jump on the track and do some 400s off a minute and I was hoping to get them um, quicker than 5k pace sort of I guess dropping down to 3k ish pace maybe even slightly quicker if I if I was feeling all right Um, but yeah they weren't coming out as good as I was hoping and I think it might have been a bit of fatigue still in the legs from that 1k session on the Tuesday plus the fact that um, the wind was yeah was um, quite hefty and so I think a first rep I, I got out and it was a bit of a tailwind for maybe the first hundred and I think it was about 16 seconds through the first hundred 
And then the back yeah. straight, you just hit the get howling wind. And I hit 200 in 37. <laughs> I was like, hang on, if I yeah. double that, that's 74. That's way slower than what I was doing on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And then I split, was splitting, yeah, 37s basically through the 200 and then coming home in about um, 31, um, 31 to 32. So, yeah, it was almost like a bit of a kick down 400 for, for that because the, the wind was... Um, yeah, it was that strong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess the, if going by effort-wise, the, the effort was um, definitely, yeah, mm. harder than a sort of a 5K effort. So I was, I was happy with, I guess, the way it ended up, given the consideration, given the consideration around the, the conditions. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to knock out something that was just a little bit slower than 5K pace and then something that was a bit quicker just to keep, make sure that um, all the different energy systems and, and all the different systems are, yeah, really kicking in. Um, yeah, leading up to this 5K, which we'll do in, yeah, just over a week, um, a week tomorrow, I'd say. And Matty, question around your doing this track workout solo, you probably don't do a lot of solo track work. I was just thinking when you mentioned about um, yeah, checking your watch at 200s. Now, usually, would you normally sort of get into a group and be able to just tuck in on the track and, and or not worry about the watch and maybe, you know, I guess alternate pacing whereas if you're doing that solo and you're having to go oh am I on pace here am I off pace is that does that play into your head a little bit yeah it does a little bit and I mean I'm I guess the first even if I'm in a group and I do I don't mind leading I'm happy to take the lead um quiet because I know some people just love sitting and I, I actually don't mind taking the lead a bit because I just feel like I can um get in my own rhythm my own stride without sort of chopping potentially um, if I'm running behind someone, but yeah, so I would usually check the watch over the first couple of splits. And then once I know the rhythm that I've sort of found and, and felt comfortable in, I don't really need to check the, check the watch anymore. Um, but yeah, doing it by yourself, it probably does lend to um, checking the watch a little bit more than, than what I should. Um, and maybe going a bit more off effort, but yeah, it's always sort of worked for me. So I haven't really, been too fast about that um but yeah that yeah i guess today i was just a bit more curious about how much effect this wind is actually going to have on on the session and, and see the difference in the splits um and it, i had a look over the graph um on my strava and it sort of um yeah it starts up quick and then it quickly drops off the pace and then the pace as soon as i hit 200 yeah. sort of picks up again so i was um, yeah yeah it's a bit of a curvy kind of graph that one it wasn't a very even split um, throughout the 400s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I even find that mate? doing um, the longer reps, like doing the three minutes or 1K reps or things like that. Like I can generally, you know, I know probably my body pretty got, I think I've got the intuition that maybe in the first one kind of get into a pace and make sure I'm kind of on. And then I try not to look at my watch uh, mm. too much. I just sort of go, um, yeah, just go on the effort and if i'm in a group it's even better i just go and try and hang on for as long as possible or sit in on the group yeah. um but yeah I, I tend to probably get distracted if i look at the watch too much uh and mm -hmm. even over 1k reps like i might just just check it um just quickly check it and maybe sometimes there's a little bit around that negative that feedback you get from the watch because you know if you're out there and you, you're really um you're feeling strong and then you're you look at the watch and you go, oh, okay, I'm not actually going that well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That can play in your head as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one. And I think 
doing this mix of oh, a lot of solo training now. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's probably an individual thing as well as to how you, how you perceive things when you do look at a watch and whether it does actually fire you up a little bit as well to push on and uh, you might be slacking a little bit. Yeah, I think, and I guess I might have found that a little bit today because um, after going through the first 100 and around 16 and I looked at the, the next bit, I thought, oh, yeah, no, that's all right. I'll, I'll be able to get through the 200. I know it's a bit of a headwind, but when I saw 37, I was like, oh, like I must have slowed a hell of a lot here. I've got to change pace. Otherwise, I'm going to get through this in 74 and I'll just be really annoyed. So, um, yeah, it definitely made me sort of, um, yeah, push me on. And I guess because I haven't been on the track for, um, I don't know. I've maybe I've done on a handful of sessions this year on the track, and, and none for for at least probably eight weeks. Um, getting that, it's just a little bit of a different feeling as well. I find on the track, so yeah, it was mm. kind of interesting to to have a look at the watch and, and see um, where I was at. Um, and then yeah, I think next time, and it, like if I just keep going to the track, I'll eventually yeah barely look at the watch, and and I'm I'm usually pretty good um, judge of pace. Um, I know. If, uh, pace Gemma a few times and she's like oh whenever I sit behind you I, I can just I don't need to look at the watch because I can just trust that like your pace judgment's good yeah. so um yeah it's just a bit of um getting a bit more adjusted back to the track again mm. well just change gears a bit Maddie um and away from from the, the Mornington track there's a pretty big race going down on the roads in London this weekend on uh, on Sunday are you going to be uh, tuning? I think it's um, it's pretty favourable time for us. I think it's um, is it the women's might be first about four o'clock. Is it? And yeah, then I think the it's after that. Yep, yep, yeah, I'll definitely be um, tuning in. Yep, um, I'll big come. grudge match with uh, yeah, Kipchoge and Bikili. Talk about um, you know, kings of the the track and now the road. These guys are um, yeah, they're obviously going to be um, they're slugging it out over the um, it's a pretty um. Pretty interesting setup, obviously, to get this off the ground. They had to do a lot of work around, um, yeah, creating the bubble. And, um, yeah, there's a, it's, you know, I think there's a very small field that's, um, that's going around on this loop course. I think it's, um, oh, it's like 2K a lap, uh, 2.2K, I believe it's per lap. Yep. So, yeah, it's a lot of laps for a marathon. <laughs> uh, how would you go on a lap, lap marathon course of that nature? Yeah, I was thinking about this when... Um one of the loops that I run on is around 1.5k, about 1,500 metres around. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I've, I've done that quite a bit. And I get, oh God, I'm get i happy to get through around about a 30-minute session, say, around there, and then I start to really get quite bored. Um, and I guess I, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at how tight the corners are. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd probably... I mean, I probably if I was in a, if I was in a good pack and feeling all right, you know, when you when you're on, like I don't think it's really going to matter at all um, about whether you're um, on the normal London course or if you if you're doing loops. But yeah, if you're probably struggling a little bit and starting to really hurt and um, slow up, and people are coming past you. I reckon that'll be it'll be a long way home um, getting through those laps. Yeah. But yeah, I was thinking about because I know um, I'm not sure if you find the same, Zach, but. Um, when I, when I, um, sort of, if I'm running, say a cross country or, or, or a road race and there's a corner coming up, I try to work towards the front of the pack because it's, because uh, you don't get slowed down as much and you can, you can get around a, a bit easier rather than if you're at the back of the pack, 
you've got to slow down a lot more and accelerate harder out of the corner and it burns that bit more energy. Um, so yeah, yeah. You, like, you know, if they're reasonably, I'm not sure about the corners, if they are reasonably tight, would you consider trying to get to the front? Because I know you've got paces and stuff, but would you run around the paces, get to the front and then um, pull, pull back once you've got around the corner? Um, what would you consider yeah. doing? I don't know, but it sounds sounds pretty like uh, it could be a quite a lot of surging if you're doing it that way. And, mm, yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, look at the way Kipchoge's traditionally want you know what he did at Ineos and what he's done at um, obviously at Berlin. It's probably a bit more of a consistent you know sit in off the back of the paces and then um, move through. I mean, I, um, Berlin, I think he he the paces weren't didn't go. That far actually, because he was just going so well. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that would be an easy way to do it. And you look at, uh, I mean, the the men's and women's world record are, you know, they're they're being spruiked as as, as having a real crack at it. Um, mm. You got Bridget Cosguy, she's lining up. She holds, you know, she's obviously she took uh, Paul Radcliffe's record by like uh, it was over a minute in um, when she did that in Chicago, but she. She ended up like seven minutes, like she was seven minutes ahead of the field. I know there was guys in that pack. I think she was able to. So it'll be interesting to see how she goes in, given it's a, um, a women's only field as well. And if, uh, if, like you said, mate, if she's going to be able to, um, to either sit in off the paces and then go to the front all the time, or just just mm-hmm. go for it solo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I guess yeah, that like if you're, I was, I guess talking about someone. If you know, if you've got a big pack of like you know, 15 people or something um, and there's no real pace, well, would you then, yeah, consider going to the front? Not, yeah, and not necessarily, I guess, having to surge if you didn't have to surge, but, um, yeah, because, mm. yeah, I'm sure on Kipchoge, you'll just be trying to hit that constant and um, and Bikile just trying to hit that constant pace rather than changing changing gears um, much at all. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely stacked fields and, I mean, this is, there's a lot of hype for this because, yeah, we don't have that, we haven't had that many marathons um this year um but yeah how how are you feeling for the um the australian contingent um lining up yeah it's um i mean just just a quick one back on the 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 grudge match with bikili and kitchen i I just um i i read an article it was some quotes out of the press conference around um bikili and um and kitchen talking about their form going into um and it's funny, Bikili sort of had some issues around uh, the quarantine, not being able to leave his house early on. And, uh, you know, in the, in the prep, he was doing a lot of his sessions on the treadmill. And then he's only the last kind of month he's actually been able to get out and do some, um, you know, some normal, I guess, normalised training. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting because a lot of, um, obviously, all of us have been affected. And it's, it's just interesting to hear from the, the real top, top end of uh, how they can come out of, you know, of no racing. And, and that's the same for the Aussies, you know, like we've seen that they've, you know, obviously had to head over. You've got Brett Robinson in the, in the men's, which is really exciting. I see him out on my, uh, on the Gardner Street Trail. He's out there most nights and give him a bit of a wave. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to see him go. It's, um, he's, he's in the, you know, he's, it's, again, is that that form is a question mark. It's like, mm-hmm. you can do so much training, but then if you haven't had the races, it's like, can you go out there and, you know, potentially, you know, they're talking maybe a um, an Aussie record to go, which is which is Deeks. Mm. Uh, that was set in like '86, uh, so we've seen you know um, a golden period in the last few weeks with what Stewie and 
Jeremy Swain and Jess Hull and, you know, Matty Ramston, those guys coming through. So Australia's in, in uh, an exciting, exciting time with distance running. And then you've got in the women's, uh, Sinead Diver and, uh, and Ali Pashley going around. So, yeah, what do you think? Uh, firstly, on Brett Robinson, do you think he can get uh, Deke's record? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's such a, he's an incredible athlete. Um, I'm just not sure if he's there yet. Um, and he, I've no, like if he's close, he, like he gives everything. He knows how to hurt, knows how to push himself. Um, it's just whether or not he gets caught up a bit um, in the pace and going out a bit too hard early. Um, yeah, and like, I mean, with his Australian half marathon record in Maragami, you know, earlier this year, 59-57, like that's an incredible run. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he can, I reckon he, he'll go under 210, like his PB is 210-55 at the moment. I reckon he'll get under 210, um, but I reckon he might be another marathon or two off from, um, from getting... I was just thinking record. that. Yeah, I was just thinking that. If you, if you look at... Um, the marathoners of you know, including Deeks and Monas and all the rest, like mm. they traditionally you need a few more under the belt. Like not to say so, you know, it's, it's not beyond his reach, but it mm. feels like it's a big drop. Um, you know, you look what, and I was um, I shared this with you earlier about like you know what Deeks was doing before he ran in, in eighty six. He ran that uh, Australian record at two oh seven. Yeah, but yeah. in 81, he won Fukuoka in 208. Yeah. Yeah. So he was going you know, 208, 209, 208. Like there was like from 82, 83, 84, like there was six, seven marathons in there under 210 before he ran 207. <laughs> so it's like unbelievable consistency. And you know, he was winning Rotterdam. He was third in Chicago twice in 84 and 85. So like the kind of, I don't know, maybe. And this, this environment that Brett's going into is, is completely different to any of those races. So that factor of, I don't know if it's going to be positive. It really is, sounds like it's really tough over there with all the, the, the way that it's just not a normal race. So, yeah, very. Uh, it's exciting, though. It's exciting that we're talking about someone that's going to have a crack at it after all these years. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, um, also, like, Brett's come from... Um, the, the COVID restrictions as well over in Melbourne. Um, so whether, yeah, how much training he's been able to actually uh, fit in. And, and as we know, like the marathon, you need to get the miles in the legs in order to be able to, to, to do a good one. So, and then, yeah, obviously all the other factors going in, travelling over, um, yeah, under the, under the little bubble that I'm assuming they've got over there running. So, yeah, it is going to be a, an interesting um, a very interesting affair and I can't wait to, to see how it um, pans out. Um, but then, yeah, how, how are you feeling for Sinead and um, Ellie over there? Um, what's your, have you got any intel yeah. about how, how you think they're going to go? A lot of reports coming out of the, the camp. I mean, oh, um, Dave Ridley, who I've done a bit of training with in the past, he's been helping Sinead out with some workouts around Albert Park. There's been a bit of footage going around on Instagram and, and uh, a little bit of talk about some of the sessions he's been uh, putting out there. So the talk is, yeah, there, there is a big chance that this, um, this record could go, which is Benita Willis's of 222.36. Mm-hmm. Again, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting that this is, this is on. And if you look at what Sinead's done, you know, she's run a 108 over the half this year. 
she's 43 years old, which is unbelievable. Like how good she is over, you know, just year on year, just getting better and better. And I think the record's definitely on. Yeah, that's awesome, oh, mate. It'd be such a good... And she knows how to perform. And yes, she, she knows how to perform. Like, you know, fifth in New York, seventh in London. Like, you know, it's just mm. like, you, you, yeah, she knows what it's like. I don't think she's intimidated by the field. No, well, that showed last year in London when she just went to the front and took off. Like, pace is slow and I'm going. Like, <laughs> I'm here to race. Yeah. I'm not here to um, sit back and watch others compete. So, yeah, she won't be afraid to put it out there and, and have a red-hot dip, that's for sure. And Ali Pashley also, um, yeah, she's mm. she broken two, 2.30 twice. as a PV of 2.26. Like, she's, she's amazing. And, and the thing a bit about Ali is... Um, she's a real racer. She like knows how, when she gets on, um, she's just like her progression has been phenomenal from a uh, you know, 2016. She was a 246 marathoner in 2019. She was a 226. So yeah. <laughs> you'd, um, you'd take that improvement, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, mate. Any, any day. That's a, that, and that just shows like how, um, yeah, how well she's um, sort of improved her training and just got stronger and stronger and probably, you know, push the mileage up and um yeah um i reckon and, and we know that she's had a bit of a, a um, injury what i can't remember how, many, how long we're back in sort of um uh june-ish i think it was um yeah but then she yeah from all accounts she's um hasn't missed a beat since then um and it, another one that's yeah who knows who's a good racer and um yeah knows how to put it on the line and, and isn't afraid to have a crack. So I guess it depends on, I think, it, on the paces as well and whereabouts she sort of decides to, to sit in and whether, you know, she goes, all right, I'm going to go with a faster um, start and then just try to hold on or do I go with one that's a bit more conservative um, and then try to work at home? Um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll uh, yeah, have to wait and see. Yeah, well, it's going to be it's compelling viewing, and I think that's um, yeah, so super exciting. Hey, last one, I don't know you're um, we don't have Sammy the the shoe dog on, but um, you are the um, you are a, a shoe geek yourself, mate. And um, we're talking shoes for Bikili is going with the Vaporfly Next Percent, mm-hmm. and Kipchoge is going with the Alphafly Next Percent. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting there that, um, yeah, Achilles just going back to the, um, that's what he wore in Berlin and yeah. he was comfortable with that. I think he's trialled the, uh, the Alpha Next Percent and he's um, happy to go with, go back to the, uh, the Vaporfly Next Percent. Yeah, that's it's an interesting, interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, mm, yeah, and it's sure going to be actually wet as well. So Yeah, that's what I was about to, yeah, with the conditions, if it's going to be wet underfoot, um, how that will play for the different shoes going around. Like, um, you know, in terms of the grip and if there's a lot of corners around then, which you're going to have to around, um, you know, two and a half K loops. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, what well, you've got the endorphins, the Sokonis, or the Sokonis, sorry. Um, what, how have you found the grip on those? Yeah, I, I... I only done one workout where it was slightly uh, like it'd been a bit of drizzle and I could still, I didn't feel 100% confident on them. Yep. So, yeah, if it was really damp, um, I probably wouldn't be, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd be wanting to go around 19 laps of a, mm. <laughs> of a course, and especially the pace these guys are going at. So, uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, look. I'm sure they've they've done some workouts in them, tested them out, and um, they know what they're in for. So, mm. yes, it's going to be uh, yeah a very exciting weekend of uh, of marathon running. Yeah, well, well, so yeah, what what is it? Two point one five k loops, nineteen laps. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about even when you do. I don't know. I think of marathons where you get those. We I I kind of like those straight lines like even along um i like that section on st kilda road in the melbourne marathon where you can get just sort of you just get into a rhythm you go straight line and just go for it whereas um yeah having these loops um yeah mm. no, it might be it'd be interesting i know you've run at rotterdam before that yep. um that had sort of probably a few straight long straights in it as well yeah yeah it did not I, I really liked that that was an amazing course um yeah and it I wonder if it, yeah, if those loops will get play um, play a part um, in this, and yeah, you, whether you can see um, the lucky like competition, whether it's you know getting closer or moving further away, and what sort of that'll play with the mindset. Um, but yeah, I'm very interested to to watch it. So, what is it around four o'clock on Sunday um, for the women's start, and then I think it might be about maybe three hours later. Can't confirm. Mm. I think there's about maybe yeah. three hours difference between the, the start of the women's and the start of the men's. So, yeah, can't wait for this one. Exciting, yeah. I think a lot of uh, a lot of our athletes who have done their um, their 5K in the morning, maybe from the, the time trial or the uh, the running best 5K, they we uh, sitting back in the Arvo and uh, watching this one. Yep, absolutely. Now, mate, around the tracks, um, we've had a few uh, really good results come through from. Uh, the, the run to PB athletes. And so, yeah, we'd like to um, congratulate those. And you've got um, one of Josh Harris's first up, mate. Yeah, so um, Josh has been, co- uh, he's got quite a few in his squad and he's, um, he's got Joe Williams who um, he's absolutely been flying. So pretty much since joining, he's taken off big PBs over the five and the 10. And then, um, and they actually went into a, a time trial over the 15K, which is a, you've done a 15k uh, probably a few of the av races it's a really tricky distance to get right um because it's you know obviously you you can't treat it like a 10k hard all-out race but you gotta i guess back yourself that you can't be too conservative like you would in a half so this um to go out and yeah really crush that and run 104 30 yeah that's a that's a cracking run from joe and i think that'll that's a sort of that time trial distance, I know he's probably heading towards a half in the marathon. It's a really good good hit out to get under the belt to, to knock a good five fifteen 15K out. Yeah, absolutely. And now we've got one from uh, Jack Davies, Caitlin Hack, um, who completed her 150-kilometre in September challenge for Connors Run. Um, and this is during her first month with Run to PB. And, yeah, she's been um, doing this and raising money for young people with brain cancer. So, yeah, linking her running with um, raising money for for, um, for that cause is um, fantastic. And, yeah, well done to Caitlin. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some big things coming up for her. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. A great cause to be uh, to getting behind and, and running some Ks for. Uh, over in uh, up in Shepparton. Chris Armstrong, who's um, got his his crew up and going there, including Kate Flynn, who, who's um, I guess like a lot of people around Australia, really. I think um, team sports have really been hit hard this year, and she had her sights set on a big year of uh, netball 
obviously cancelled due to COVID. And then since joining back in April, she hasn't missed a week. She's really, really taken to her running and um, improved two minutes on her 10K time trial. So she's taken it down to 52.26. She's lining up this week, uh, next weekend in the virtual 5K. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's really exciting. It's been great to see some of the, um, I guess we call them ballers who have uh, come into, this, into the run to PB family and they've moved across. They're really engaged with running now and just loving the community. And um, yeah, quite a few have jumped on the, the ball at a 10K program and, and uh, yeah, just, just finding the joy in running. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, speaking of 10Ks, we had one of Steph Austin's, um, one of her charges, Matt Pilly. He had an absolutely cracking run. Um, and he did it on the track, a 10K track, um, knocking down his PB. So he, when he first signed up, he was a 38.57 runner. Um, yeah, and he's just knocked that down to 36.35. Um, yeah, on his lead up to his first marathon. So, um, yeah, congratulations, Matt. That's a huge run. Um, and, yeah, just so good to see. And then on the track as well. Um, yeah, that's yeah, obviously going to be... Um, an accurate, accurate run, and yeah, that's a that's a yeah. huge one, and we'll be very interested to see how his uh, first marathon um, goes, and with that sort of a time, I bet, yeah, I'll be interested to actually see what is what sort of time he's going to be targeting. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, heading into a marathon, when you've you've been able to slice a couple of minutes off your ten k, and then start to get into that marathon block, that's um that's exciting times ahead for for Matt. Uh, and this weekend, Matty, we've, we talked about the Run to PV 5K virtual run. We've got a few uh, going around. I know I've got a few of my athletes going around this weekend and we've got quite a few going around next weekend. Um, friend of the show, Stu, who's, you know, he's been on the live event, uh, live stream before. He's jumped on this podcast. He's written blogs for us. He's like, he's, he's a real... Um, big part of the community and he's um yeah he's out actually yeah, I was just chatting to him before he's he's gonna go out and do a bit of a recce on it he's got a couple of courses in mind in his area in his 5k bubble and yeah he's look he's super strong we're gonna do it on a road course because um you know there the track is an open so he's yeah looking at um yeah along the main Yarra Trail or an eastern freeway if you know um sort of Doncaster Melbourne area and yeah, it's a, I think we were just talking about, yeah, this is a good simulation of him getting on a road course. Um, he's traditionally a strong track runner and, you know, not having the XCR hasn't, um, yeah, sort of hasn't enabled us to get out and do the, the, the road races that we would have liked to have this year. Um, I've also got Anna, who was a guest on the show back in episode 25. Yeah, Anna's, um, yeah, she's, she's flying at the moment. She's looking to maybe... Um, take some more off that 5k we we had her on up on that episode talking about her time trial and yeah she was um when the opportunity came to to jump on this virtual 5k she definitely want to have another go at it so heading back to the track um yeah we've got a plan in place to probably be a bit more aggressive even and um yeah roll the dice and and see where it lands so um yeah excited to see what happens to anna and then you've got matt running 5k tomorrow so I do, yeah. Great name. I've got Matty. Yes, we are not you, but uh, this is another Matt who, uh, Matty Morgan down in Tassie, he's going to be running the 5K. And we're actually using that as, as a build into the Ross Half Marathon, which is the following week. So, um, yeah, we've been in a really heavy block. He's actually just did a, 
a three by 10 minute session on Tuesday. So we're using this 5k just to, to blow some cobwebs out. And I think, um, yeah, just to, to work in and into that speed and turn the legs over. So, um, yeah, down in, uh, down in Launceston in uh, Josh Harris country. So, uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how Maddie goes off the back of a, of a really good half marathon prep. Yeah, and I've got a few uh, shout outs as well for, for my athletes. And I've actually got a couple running half marathons this weekend. Um, and the first one, yes, yeah, Sarah. So here, she, here she's in Melbourne, um, original sign up to the sub 20 program a year and a half ago. Um, just been going from strength to strength uh, since then. And like that included like a hundred K race and, um, and also going sub 40 for 10 K. So yeah, she really took charge after that sub 20 turned into a sub 40 for 10 K program. Um, and now she's been eyeing off a half time trial um, obviously without races in Melbourne for about eight weeks. Um, and yeah, we had one locked in for yeah, quite some time ago, but it was, um, I think it was on the, on the Sunday, um, Dan Andrews sort of had other ideas about that and pressed the button on the uh, one hour rule. And so, yeah, we had to, had to sit it out for, um, for six weeks and, and then yeah, map it in for this coming reach, uh, this coming week, weekends on tomorrow um so rescheduled it and yeah really looking forward to seeing um how sarah goes because she has been really um strong over that sort of last even though over lockdown those last um six weeks um yeah we've just tried to um get some good quality in and then yeah over the last couple of weeks just managed to get a couple of longer runs in um and yeah i think yeah she'll she'll have a really she'll have a really good one um, it's a pity she can't get into a race, but yeah, that'll, that'll come. Um, but yeah, she should get a lot of confidence out of this time trial tomorrow. Um, also got Jenna who is going to compete in the jetty to jetty half marathon up in Queensland. I think we've got a few other run to TV athletes, um, lining up there as well. Um, yeah, she's just been so consistent, just keeps turning up, getting the work done. Um, and just showing, she showed some real good strength over the long run on the back of, um, increasing her mileage and, and being really consistent over that last five weeks of around 50 to 55 kilometer, um, kilometers per week. Um, incorporating that, just a couple of good quality uh, sessions. And yeah, I'm really excited to see how she goes up there on, on Sunday. Um, and in the, yeah, at the same event, we've got um, previous guest as well, Katie Dell. And so she's stepping down in distance um, after her amazing half marathon run. Um, and she's going to have a crack over the 5Ks to incorporate it into the Run to PB um, virtual event. Um, yeah, and she's using that to then build up towards a marathon in late November. Sort of, yeah, looking forward to seeing how all the other Run to PB athletes go and, and everyone else go in the, um, in the virtual 5K. Yeah, it's exciting to see all the, a uh, lot of social media, a lot of people... Um, you know, jumping in the Strava, jumping on the chat and, and talking about this one. So, um, yeah, it's, um, and it's just good to, to have people, um, yeah, to, you know, get after a run and go do what they can and wherever they're at in their training program, whether they're in a marathon lo uh, block or whether they're actually targeting this one, it's just good to, to sort of put yourself out there and, uh, and have a crack over the 5K. Yeah, now, Zaka, um, quite a little while ago, you interviewed founder and director of Pogo Physio, sports and exercise physiotherapist who's been a yeah, full-time clinician for 15 years. Um, and I reckon a lot of people will have heard of him before, Brad Beer. 
Um, and yeah, it was a live stream event um, that you had with him and, and looked at bone stress and injury prevention for runners. Um, yeah, it was a great live event. I, I really enjoyed tuning in. Um, and one of the things I guess that I really took out of it and one of the great lines that he used, and it's actually one that he picked up from Shona Helson, um, who was a, at the former AIS recovery center. And this is something that really, I guess, resonated with me. Um, and, the, and the quote is, we are only benefiting from the training we are recovering from. And, and it's, I mean, that seems really simple, but it is just um, something that is, uh, I reckon it might be forgotten a little bit. Um, and it's, yeah, I think all runners and coaches need to be really mindful of it. Um, and yeah, Brad really speaks so well and, and, and goes into quite a bit of depth around, um, around that quote. And so, yeah, that's just one thing that I, that I really enjoyed out of, um, out of that, that live interview that you did there, Zaka. Yeah, and Brad's, um, yeah, he does speak so well and he delivers a really good, so many good insights. And, he, and I think with Brad, he's worked with not only the top, top end of town runners, but a lot of recreational runners. A lot of people coming through his clinics have been associated with Triathlon Australia and then the Gold Coast Marathon. And he's done some work even in... He's been over recently and we talked about it in the, um, in the stream where he, he went over to Kenya and he, you know, he's, he's really learnt from the top as well in terms of working with you know, the Robinson twins over there. He's done some, some fantastic uh, things in the running community and um, yeah, it's a, it's a great listen and there's just so many insights in there and um, a lot of key takeaways. And then, yeah, like you said, uh, uh, some of the, some of the just the tried and true things and the, the basics that, probably need we all need reminding of um as, as runners and as coaches i guess that's um yeah so i think brad's uh yeah definitely um definitely worth tuning into and um i'm sure the listeners and the runners out there will will take something away from this one nice mate yeah so let's um without further ado let's cross to it Brad Beer, welcome to the Run to PB live event. How are you going, Brad? Yeah, good thanks, Zach. Uh, yeah, going well. Uh, apologies, I jumped on a little late, misread the time, but here we are. That's all good. Uh, all good. It's a bit of a, a bit of a crazy time around Australia, around the world, really. And uh, time is, yeah, I don't even know what day it is to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it used to be crazy. I think the only saving grace is running. I think for many of us. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, how how are you finding up there? Because have you noticed a bit of a running? We'll, we'll give you it. We'll we're just waiting for a few more people to jump on, and then we'll we'll roll into the um introductions. But just in terms of um things up your way, and I'm I'm in Melbourne, and there's um we're, we're sort of lockdown two point People can still exercise and run, but they're not in gyms. And you guys up on the Gold Coast, a lot of running going on. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, you know, the states are quite different, aren't they? But um, in terms of <clears throat> case numbers, et cetera, and, and lockdown versus not lockdown. So, Zach, uh, I, I've heard of the observable numbers of increased runners that some of the southern states have seen. I think it yeah. has happened on the in Queensland to a degree, but probably less noticeable. So, there's always an active community, obviously, up here, typically year in, year, all year round. So I personally haven't noticed too much on the yeah. observ observation front, but 
um, you know, you do hear of a lot of people that have been doing some fitness challenges and trying to make the most of their downtime or, you know, whatever restraints they've had around lockdown and work shutdowns by by getting fitter, which is a tremendous thing. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that happening, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's roll into this, but I'll, I'll introduce all the uh, the viewers out there. So we're this is Run to BB. This is our third live stream event, and obviously in these times we've moved a lot of stuff online, and um, it's been great to sort of bring some value to the to the running community. And um, I wanted to get yourself on as um, one of Australia's leading physios, and, and we wanted to talk today about or tonight about bone stress injury. Uh, bench, bone stress and injury prevention for runners, and um, you've you've obviously been in the game for a while now, as, a, as both as an athlete and and also as a as a physio. Um, I'll bring up. I've got a bit of a um, a bit of a slideshow here that we'll go through, and um, I'll just roll this in. And it talks about your background. So, if you want to just give give some of the viewers a bit of your background that aren't familiar with Brad Deer. Oh, thanks, Zach. My background, uh, I've been around endurance sports since the age of 10. I turned 40 at the end of the year. So that's, uh, you know, 30 years almost, uh, which goes quick in some hand, some ways and slow in others. But yeah. so I really can't recall life without running. I remember one of the first recollections of running was watching Steve Monaghetti, uh, I think, at the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics and uh, – I can't remember. It would have been around 1990 or might maybe even any. And anyway, I remember seeing Steve's running gait and thinking, I need to go and emulate how he moves his arms to be a good runner as I went out down where we lived in New South Wales and did a little 2K yeah. run. But So I remember that was one of my earliest memories of, uh, of running. But I've been around. Uh, my first love was triathlon. Uh, I fell in love with that in 1990 with the domestic televised triathlon series and uh, fervently set out to uh, – see what I could be like and fortunately I had a little bit of endurance talent and so my you know I think you gravitate to the things that you naturally got a bit of ability in so I, I went pretty hard at that for a good 10 years had a decent bike crash with a few nasty injuries including a brain hemorrhage and that coincided with the the end of my junior triathlon life and the start of the senior years and I just couldn't get it together off the back of the injuries and started uni and that seeded the next 10 years of my life which was university into owning a practice and here I am another 10 years on um just very much entrenched in the running and triathlon space so professionally um I run a practice on the Gold Coast Pogo Physio um and I have the pleasure of now assisting um various entities in, including triathlon new zealand and athletics new zealand and um, some work at times with british triathlon so it's been a been a really fun journey and one of the great fun things i've had the opportunity to do in zach recent years is um the physio work for the super league triathlon series which pre-covid was yeah. uh racing you know all around the world and i, I recall um correct me if it was might have been a year or two ago when you you went over to, um, did you go to Ethiopia and Kenya or East Africa? And um, yeah, you sort of spent a bit of a bit of time over there immersing yourself in the running culture. Yeah, that was uh, Ethiopia in February this year. Zach, literally a week or two before everything really went upside mm. down. So uh, there was already sort of elements of it happening in China, obviously, at that stage on the way over. But yeah, I had, yeah. had, had some time in Ethiopia assisting Zane Robertson um oceanic uh, marathon record holder obviously one of the 
the, the twin boys, Jake and Zane. And, uh, yeah, that was an incredible experience, Zach. And looking back now at what this year's turned out to be, I, I'm glad I got it done. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Now, we'll, we'll dig in a bit further, but I want to, like, I want to talk about, and we just touched on the running, mini running boom that's happening even um, in Melbourne, just with more people out running. But but overall, broadly, there's been a lot more uh, running being going on globally. And I think, um, you know, with the advent of Park Run and other events that have, have come on that um, you, we're starting to see, and we'll go into some of these trends and just bring this slide up. Um, yeah, as a physio and someone involved closely with the sport, you've, you've obviously seen a lot of runners coming through the, through the doors. Yeah, definitely, Zach. Uh, and what a tremendous thing, as we all know. I mean, there is not a person on the planet that's health wouldn't benefit from some consistent running in their life. And, you know, we, of course we know people that, wouldn't identify themselves as runners or would think they're a thousand miles away from being a runner. But as we both know, a runner is to someone that pops a pair of shoes on and goes for a trot. So, um, so it, it's absolutely fantastic. And, and here you can see on this slide uh, the state of running 2019 report, which was a, an incredible analysis of race results. Uh, as you can see there on the screen, 70,000 events, 108 million results. And some of the key takeaways, 50, as you can see, 57% growth in 10 years, very slight drop off in the last two years, but nothing too substantial. Triathlon's been obviously on, it was on a big, big boom and it sort of just dropped back a little bit in the last few years. One of the great findings is the average age of runners, the mean age has increased by circa five years over these decades. So in other words, we are running uh, late in, late into our later years, and some people are picking up in the later years, which is fantastic. In addition, for the first time in history, there was more female runners than males, so we've all probably been privy to that boom in the, the the female running population. So all in all, it's just fantastic to see. It is, yeah, and I, I just see it around. You know, I live in Melbourne, and I see it at the tan, and I see it out on the trails, and I see. Yeah, more people involved, more people getting into the sport, which is great, and, and seeing the benefits of running. But I guess with that comes, um, yeah, the, as runners, as you get into running, the, the worst thing that, yeah, the worst thing, but it, it is a challenging time is when you get injured. And I've had many injuries over my, I've been running 20 plus years and I've been through the stress fractures, stress reactions, all, all the rest of it. Um and yeah, as a runner, yeah, it, it, it really plays on you and you, you really want to do everything possible to try and prevent injuries and, and as part of why I wanted to get you on and, and talk about that. And, and I guess one of the big uh, areas you sort of specialise in and have spoken a lot over the, the years is bone stress. And I want to sort of pull on that thread a bit more and you've developed a bit of an injury con continuum that you could talk us through. I'll bring that up now. Yeah, thanks for popping that up on the screen there, Zach. Uh, yeah, so injuries, unfortunately, are going to be part of every runner's uh, year, often. So hopefully, we get through years without them. But the statistics are stacked against us, and that is that most of us will get some sort of injury within 12 months of running. Uh, and, you know, there's certainly people that point to that and say, well, aren't you better off not to run then if you get injured? But <laughs> <laughs> the, the the deconditioning effects are far worse than working through a running injury, obviously. And and then, as you said, Zach, uh, they're never fun um, and they're frustrating. 
uh, one of the big areas if you if runners are going to get really one of three things joint related concerns knee knee pain kneecap pain you know hip joint uh, or bone or tendon injuries so it's really those things that present in terms of my professional work and those things if you're talking to a mate at a park run a friend at a park run that will probably say oh i've got this or that it's likely to land in one of those three buckets and obviously tonight's geared towards bone stress injuries and i think most runners if they've done enough years at some point will have probably developed a bit of bone stress injury a bit of a bone stress injury and this one pager here is something i give out in clinic just to help people in a concise-ish manner, capture what actually happens. So would you like me just to sort of talk through the stages yeah. here? Let me just so, work through that. Yeah, the those stages that you've got down here, that'd be great. Yeah, okay, no problem. So I think the first thing to point out is that our bones are not static dead levers. They are living, breathing structures uh, that bend, they flex, they uh, break down after every really run this and micro damage we accrue to the outside of the bone the cortex and then to the intermedullary bone or the honeycomb stuff if you like inside so there's a level of trauma micro trauma after every run and then our bodies are incredibly smart get, they go to work uh, and at a cellular level in the bone that bone is repaired and that cycle just gets repeated now it's a continuum that occurs when we with our bones after they've been loaded on the far left hand side there is normal bone remodeling where the breakdown rate is being met by the repair rate so it's pretty commonsensical there on the very extreme end of this continuum you've got a, a fracture a complete or frank fracture a bone that's split uh, and obviously that's nasty but if we go right back over to the far left there uh, normal remodeling if we start to do more, more loading cycles of, uh, of, so running, there's more loading cycles for the bone, then we're going to start to see an increased level of remodeling. There's more breakdown and there's hopefully more buildup at that point. And that's the aim of the running game, isn't it? We all want to improve, do more, go faster. So there's more loading cycles occurring. Uh, but if we keep going, which we do, because that's the aim of the game, we may find ourselves in that next little um little uh segment there which is a bit of a stress reaction and the top green line there says pathology continuum so pathology denotes obviously when something's wrong and that's where a runner will typically zach feel some pain be it in a shin uh, a thigh bone a foot bone uh, or wherever and at that point the remodeling attempt of the body is being outpaced by the breakdown so there's just not enough time for the bones to heal themselves if you like and therefore we're, we're walking towards greater pain and greater uh, injury classification along this continuum all the way up to the commonly touted stress fracture now like, that's really comprehensive there. I know obviously you go you you dig deeper when you are with your clients but I think it's a good a good way a good one pager like you said to sort of show where things can start and almost end up and and how you how it all goes through those processes um yeah. just moving along i wanted to go a bit further about the sort of risk factors and you you've identified them here as two distinct groups uh biomechanical and biological you want to walk us through those um points there 
Yeah, absolutely, Zach. Uh, I just had a thought there, which might, I think, be useful for for runners of any level listening. That continuum, it's not something that I used to look at that and envision that as something we work slowly through and that we had a lot of time to go from each, you know, each step. But you can actually move quite quickly uh, into a a state of a serious bone stress injury. So the takeaway there is if you've got a sore bony bit and it's easy on the shin, a bit harder sometimes in the thigh and the, the neck of the femur, but if something fills up, really take heed of that. And it's not easy to do, but let's take two or three days off and uh, and then see if it's still there in two or three days' time. And if it is, speak to your coaches, uh, you know, and get the help that you need because the quicker you get onto these things, obviously, the better. It goes without saying. But, Zach, uh, this slide here, yeah, there's, there's two components to a bone stress injury in terms of risk factors, the biomechanical and the biological factors. And if we get rid of those fancy terms and just strip it down into basics, the biomechanical factors are simply the load being applied to our bones. So that that makes sense. On the other side, we've got to then think like a bone. So often trying to educate runners to do this, like think like your shin bone for a minute or think like your thigh bone. And this is where we're talking about the bone's ability to deal with the forces, to deal with the loads. So we've got to consider both of these if we're going to have a um, comprehensive or good rehabilitation process for someone that's injured it's no good doing what often can happen and that's just considering the left side here or the the forces going on the bone and did we did we make a training error with the program but neglecting to consider thinking like a bone and how's the bone going over there in terms of its health i guess that's that holistic um program as well where you're really working you know, your coach has really got to be across uh, all a lot of those factors in developing the program and, you know, looking at the surface they're running on, uh, definitely obviously training patterns and, you know, building in recovery where, where needed. And, and just to, to drag back to that point you had earlier about, yeah, when things, you know, you do pull up a little bit sore. And I, I think, and I, I'm working with a lot of athletes at the moment who when there's no races on, it's like, well, what's a risk? What's let's have a day off let's let's have two days off because i'd rather have two days off and be running for the next couple of months than have you know push through it and end up out with a stress fracture or something so it it really is um yeah it's a balancing act and applying all those those factors and then yeah obviously the biological factors as well that uh, play that you can go into there as well yeah it's it is it's where it's forever a balancing act and and these things aren't all visible, you know, like we, there aren't. So if we went and, you know, you see bone stress on an MRI, uh, if we went and just hypothetically put everyone through an MRI on the start of Saturday's park run for both shins, we're going to see most runners with a degree of bone stress, Mm. um, but not all of them with pain because they're not progressed along there. So these are invisible things that happen. Um, and this is what this probably one of my big passions in practice is hopefully increasing the awareness of what's circled here on the on the right hand side, Zach, and that's the energy availability bullet point and the yeah. bone health bullet point. Um, I've largely really lent into this in in, re, in you know in the last five six years of my professional life. Yes, out of professional necessity, but also for my own personal journey as a runner. 
who picked up low bone density several years ago off the back of a string of bone stress injuries to my femur and really have been on a bit of a quest to try and raise awareness of this ever since. And can I share briefly around those bullet points, Zach? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, go into those. That'd be great. Oh, well, easy. Uh, the first one there is this concept of energy availability. And it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward at a conceptual level. Uh, if we do more, if we train more, uh, our energy needs are greater, right? If we go from one hour of running a week to, say, two or three or four hours over time, there's a 400% greater need for fueling for that work rate. Now, what do we often do with athletes that are running around jobs and families and other responsibilities our eating patterns often don't change, but our volume or our workload overall, which is obviously also a factor of intensity, goes up. And we will look at often, some, you know, many runners do look at the scale and see stable weight or weight reduction and think, right, well, this is trending well. Uh, we all know weight is the enemy of fast running to a certain degree. And it can easily put us in a position of an energy deficit Simple terms, we're not getting enough energy to sustain not only our training but also life's processes. So when we sleep, our brains are working, our vital organs are ticking over, we do our jobs, our brain's consuming an enormous amount of uh, calories. Uh, it takes an enormous amount of fuel to fuel a human body. And when we go and layer on top the demands of running, uh, we're often in a deficit of having not enough energy available. And the consequences of that can be quite uh, quite dire. Our bones may not be prioritized for health uh, and uh, our sexual uh, reproductive um, uh, axis, if you like, can be disturbed. And for women, uh, that can have effects on different things, uh, for men as well. And it's easy to not know you're in a, in a deficit of energy availability and that's where the uh, the trap lies. And this is not to say we should all stop exercising, of course not, but the message is I think most runners can probably eat more than they think they need and they're heading in the right direction. Hopefully that's uh, music to a few people's ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you found that this is a, a real trending issue or not? that is coming to, to the fore in your in your practice that you're seeing a lot more and you're having to basically rewire or we re-figure how people view this, I guess, mis misconception around um, what they need to be doing fuel-wise and even looking after themselves with stress and, and all the rest of it. Definitely. Uh, there is a, you know, the old terminology for this was uh, the female athlete triad where mm -hmm. a female athlete with... Uh, amenorrhea, so an absence of their menstrual cycle, uh, low bone density, um, were, uh, you know, labelled they've got the female athlete triad. The problem with that, which the IOC, International Olympic Committee, recognised about seven years ago, was that half the running population are men. So <laughs> the female athlete triad is better, uh, you know, positioned in, uh, which they now have done with this concept of energy deficient, uh, energy availability deficit, or the, the term which many people will start to see more and more is red S, relative energy deficiency in sport. So there is a growing emergence, and a lot more needs to be, come to the fore. And anyone that ever presents in the clinic with me, 
uh, I am really tuned in to see if there's any signs or subtleties that might indicate they may have a, a lack of energy. And like a hundred calories deficit a day, uh, we can fall into that very easily. Like a hundred calories is nothing, and and we'll get away with that over the short term. But if we are a hundred calories down over a year, which can happen very easily, that's equivalent to not eating for a whole month. Yeah. <laughs> and when yeah. you think about that. No one mm. in their right mind would go and do that as an athlete. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's really that fueling your body to do the work. And when you're doing this sort of in, as you get more progressive with your running, you're doing some big workouts, and you're really and you like you said juggling work, family life, stress, and yeah, it, it's it can have a spiraling effect. Um, and yeah, so I'm glad you brought that to our attention and, and bring that up here. Um, is there anything else on there that you wanted to just um, talk about? In a little bit more detail, just briefly, I'd say this: the for, for female athletes, it's a little bit easy to know if you're in a potentially some uh, energy deficit. Uh, your menstruation cycle, the period, is the scorecard. Uh, leaving aside the complexities that oral contraceptive pill use will create, where it's not a true cycle, it's a withdrawal bleed. Uh, but if you're a female runner and your cycle has become irregular, please take note of that. Uh, speak to the relevant health professional, uh, you know, notify your coach if you're just not sure. But it's normally one of the first indicators, Zach, that the energy availability is just not there. For the men, the male runners, obviously that scorecard's not so obvious. Uh, and the blood tests can paint a bit of a, a guide for both male and female runners with the sex hormones. If those sex hormones are suppressed, that can be a bit of an indicator. It's a bit harder to diagnose in males. But really, if you're a male that's had a string of bone stress injuries um, or a female, that can be a good indicator that, hey, I better consider my fueling. And it's also a good indicator, Zach, to consider your bone health. Bone health meaning how dense are your bones. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of cases with repetitive bone stress injuries where the bone density is just south of where it would ideally be. And you could imagine in those circumstances, it's no good just talking about training loads when we need to also address the underlying health of the bone. Mm. And just, just following in that, there's actually a slide here showing Ryan Hall. Um, and I don't know if people are following him on Instagram. He <laughs> definitely looks a lot different now. Um, he's been uh, hitting the gym very hard. At, um, but this is a really good illustration and it, and it proves your point around, um, you know, that that energy, uh, he was obviously, you can see the comments there and you, you might want to talk about that a little bit more just on this this photo. Yeah, this was one of Ryan's uh, Instagram posts, Zach, and uh, I captured it for any of the sort of presentations I, I give around bone stress injuries. And uh, I just think it's a, it's a great example. And on the left, there's Ryan setting his 204, still American marathon record. What a stellar run. Uh, on the right, uh, Ryan there had noted that he was 133 pounds on the right. He was 133 pounds on the right, 137 pounds on the left. Yeah. And he ran a 218. And by his standards, as a 204 guy or runner, yeah. he, he said he didn't even look up at the result, but he thinks it was around 208, 218. And the difference was that on the right, he was trying to be, in his words, uh, Kenyan lean, 
So mm. mimic the look of the East Africans. And on the left, he was not even worrying about that. He was just getting the training done, recovering and building. And uh, I think the, ta- the, the takeaway there is lighter is definitely not always better. Um, so there's a, a tipping point. So if you're in surplus with kilos, then, yeah, uh, that's probably a, something that over time, and that's the key, you can move towards uh, energy um, neutrality or energy balance over time. The leanest athletes are often the athletes that are in the best energy balance unless they've acutely got there through example like Ryan's where he's been energy restricting uh, through caloric uh, restriction and his performance suffered, his health would have been suffering there. So if we, if we forget the health side, which I touched on before, then if we consider the performance side, there's not a runner out there on the planet that wants to perform worse. Uh, so, you know, I, I honestly see a shift away from people looking at the scales. And if you can get to the start line, you don't have to be at your leanest weight all year round. You only need to be there for the race races you want to perform at your best in the other times of the year it's okay to be a little bit over what you think you might need Um, as long as you're on the start line and not injured you're going to do well yeah and look i wanted to maybe just take a couple of questions in um we i just i had one here that i'll just um i'll pop up on the screen here and now, I'm saying it's often stated in the sports that the practitioner should treat the person, not the scan if. So why do we often see a rather generic protocol in treatment of common overuse injuries such as tendinopathy and bone stress-related injuries? Have you got something there um, you want to come back there with, uh, Brad? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, thanks for the uh, the question. I guess it's to, uh, I'm, I'm smiling because I... The last consultation I did uh, before I finished my day, came home and, and jumped on the call here was um, a, uh, a runner via an online consult in uh, in France. Uh, a British guy lives in France and uh, he was frustrated because he'd spent the better part of seven, eight months uh, following um, generic recommendations. And one of the first things for tendinopathy I said was there's no recipes, there's principles for rehab, but there's always, it's it's an individual application. So I guess that's why I'm smiling. But the first, um, the first part here is uh, you should treat the person and not the scan. Uh, Definitely. I mean, uh, we're not treating a a sore shin, are we? We're We're treating Zach, who's got a world that looks like this who wants to run for this reason. I remember uh, seeing a runner who um, told me that she wanted her, her aim was to run, it was the Gold Coast uh, Marathon. And I said, okay, great. I understand that's important to you. Why is that important to you? And Zach, she paused for a little bit and then she shared that her daughter passed away from cancer uh, only a year or two prior and she'd spent the better part of three or four years looking after her daughter, and then uh, she felt like this was right, a way of kind of honouring her daughter and getting the most out of her own life. And so it was important for that reason. So that's a very different journey, isn't it, to just get into the start line. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And then the second part of that, so it's always the person, not the scan. Have we got that there again, Zach, the second part? Yeah, I'll bring it up. Um, It's about generic. Yeah, it was probably more around, yeah, uh, using, I guess, Generic, um, let me just bring it up again. Uh, Generic protocol in treatment. I I mean, 
I don't know the application, but look, the principles are fairly generic. The principles mm. of rehab are really quite simple. Two sides, calm stuff down. On the other side, build stuff up. Calm stuff down, build stuff up. Running rehabilitation is always generally strength and conditioning and graded return to running. It's, it's almost comical with how simple the concepts are. Uh, the application, however, should always be individualized. And so I'm not sure of any more on the context here, but uh, tendinopathy and bone stress related, sure, the concepts are generic. They're basic concepts, but the application is highly individualized. And hopefully the, the uh, question asker here hasn't uh, sort of run into a brick wall there, in, yeah. so to speak, with um, not getting that. But if you get in generic stuff, you don't feel like it's individualized and probably look further afield. And I think you'll probably notice that I know when runners get injured, they often, they might go on Google and they, they you know, you end up, you end up in a let's run form and you're 10, 10 pages deep and you've, you've almost self-diagnosed yourself and then you speak to someone else or then, you know, I think with so much information out there that people do get a little bit lost. And I think it's important to communicate with professionals like yourself to get to the get a plan and, and you you obviously want to get people running and with and get them back moving in that rehab stage is a movement um plan you know to get them running yeah definitely and there's only really two reasons people get stuck zach one's a wrong diagnosis yeah. so misdiagnosed from the start and the second is generally a, not being pushed hard enough with strength and conditioning they're the two reasons i see people get stuck with injuries that niggle longer than they need to that's not to say that even with the right application of treatment things don't take time like things like tendons can but you should see some meaningful change along the way mm. and in terms of um we've got a lot of masters runners and people who are sort of um maybe getting to running a little bit later in life are there some basic tips around injury prevention um that you could sort of draw upon whether that's strength and conditioning um, you know, prehab exercises, recovery tools, anything that you can sort of pinpoint that would some of the viewers who are in that category could draw upon? Yeah, it's a, it's a real passion of mine, Zach, uh, the Masters athlete uh, for sure. And there definitely are things that with some awareness can hopefully um, make a big difference in terms of a Masters runner's enjoyment and, and reduction of injury risk. And they would be... And these are generic principles, so <laughs> the prior uh, question there really, uh, you know, seeds this. The generic principles are prioritise strength and conditioning over stretching and mobility. So it's a, it's a bit of an old tradition that keeps rolling that we, for some reason, as runners need to stretch. Um, I haven't stretched anything for a good 15, 20 years. Um and that's not to say that you can't do those things, but we're often time poor as masters runners. And so if we've got 40 minutes a week to throw towards stewarding our body, trying to help our body stay out there on the running track, then it's going to be better spent spending 40 of the 40 minutes that are available on doing strength and conditioning because as masters runners, we are unfortunately from 30 to 60 losing about 30% of our strength. And the area where we lose the most strength is the plantar flexors, which is simply the calf musculature, the gastroc and soleus. So first tip would be prioritize strength work over things like stretching. The second tip would be work on those calves. They are the area where um, runners, masters runners 
lose the most strength. And as a result, it's no surprise that masters runners athletes tend to suffer from related injuries, calf strains, plantar fasciitis or fasciopathy, um, and also uh, Achilles tendon problems. Whereas younger runners tend to get more bony stuff in, in gen general terms, so kneecap pain, etc. So we'll work on the calves and you can do calf raises, standing at home, single leg, but ideally, and this is probably the third point, getting in a gym as a master's runner is a fantastic investment uh, of time and resource. And it doesn't have to be every day, of course. It can be uh, 30, 40 minutes twice a week doing isolated work to strengthen up the muscles in the running body. And Brad, you, you thanks for that. And now... I know a lot of the masters athletes will be will really will take a lot of from that. But also, you mentioned uh, you work with Zane and, and Jake Robinson going over to Kenya, and you've worked with a lot of uh, elite triathletes and runners. And over the journey, is there a bit of a trend that you see that these guys and girls do to look after their body? Not to say they get injured less; they probably get injured just as much as a, a recreational runner. But maybe some things that you notice that they could, recreational runners could potentially use in their, um, you know, maybe take on board some of the things they do and and utilise? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And you're right, their injury rates aren't necessarily any different to the recreational runner. Um, probably the big ob observation is, is the respect of recovery. Uh, and you can look at it through the lens of their, full-time athletes so they've got more time available uh, but they also have just learned to recognize and this is one of my favorite quotes that's not mine it's Shona Halson from the Australian Institute of formerly the Australian Institute of Sport Recovery Center so she ran the athlete recovery at three or four Olympic cycles for Australia um, and then based herself out of the Australian Institute of Sport did research in recovery in her her adage is we're only benefiting from the training we're recovering from. So I, when you think about that, and I remember hearing that and thinking, I recall doing my long runs on a Sunday. I often do them on a Sunday. And then I'd be pretty knackered come the Monday morning. Yet I was like, I want to get my week off to a good start, bank a few Ks. I've got to get at least 10 Ks done. And I'm normally, it was normally pulling myself out of bed, just dragging myself to get there, about to go out and work a 10-hour day and run around. And I think back and, you know, if you reflect on that statement, we're only benefiting from the training we're recovering from, I surely would have been better off to have an extra couple of hours in bed and actually bank that hard long, not hard long, that long run. Mm. So they really respect um, recovery. I recall Zane uh, in Ethiopia, Zach commenting that, uh, the body knows the difference between watching Netflix and actually having a sleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the degree that, you know, that, you know, sometimes they're that pedantic about, you know, hey, I don't have to walk fast to the shop. Why would I? I can walk slowly. Now, that's a yeah. different world, but the principles can apply to us as, uh, as recreational runners. And I think as you run more, you become more in tune with your body and you, you start to realise what works for you. And I, I know... As a coach, I'm constantly, a lot of the time, trying to pull people back to do more. You know, it's great to be enthusiastic, but there's actually more benefits in slowing your easy runs down, recovering. To, you know, and so we can hit those harder sessions harder because you know it's sort of that eighty twenty rule, isn't it? You know, eighty percent mm. of the time we are actually just 
just cruising along and then you want to be able to dip in at that 20% of the time and really go after it then. For sure. And and I, yeah. I like that you said that, you know, it's good to be enthusiastic but it's better to be consistent, right? Out yeah. there, building, building, building. I mean, I've fallen into the trap just as much as anyone where we get overly enthusiastic and, you know, do a bit more than we thought we would. And, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a frustratingly enjoyable journey. And just to, we'll start to wind it up, but there was a thought around co- the the role you play when you work with coaches as well, and how does that fit in? Do you you sort of have a collaborative approach in terms of working with a lot of athletes? Um, I, I'm guessing you're in contact with your coaches and and how their programs work in line with, say, a rehab or even preventing injuries, getting in there before they actually happen. Yeah, that's such a great, uh, you know, question, comment, Zach. Uh, I always say this, if a runner comes in with an injury and they've got a coach, um, we're all on the same page. We all want the same thing. Every single party that's involved, the coach, the athlete, the therapist, and anyone else, parents, if that's if that's the case. And so if we're all on the same page, then there's no way we can get the best outcome unless we're all communicating. Um, so I like to make the distinction very clear for the athlete and all parties involved, for myself as well, that as a therapist, I am not a coach. Um, I stay in my lane. I'm a therapist. So if I'm working with an injured runner, my responsibility, if we sort of think back to that slide about biomechanical and biological factors, I'm largely responsible for what I call the return or wholly responsible in collaboration, of course, for the return to run program. So I like to think of it as tissue training versus fitness training. Mm. It sort of helps drive home concepts. And when I'm sketching out return to run programs, which might start typically to say like a bone stress injury with a walk, jog, um, uh, first run for quite a few weeks, I'll get the athlete to write in parentheses, tissue training, not fitness training. Um, and then communicating with the coach, sending copies of the program, letting them know at all stages until my sort of get off the bus for scripting out the return to run programs act, the thresholds or the line in the sand is normally once the volumes are restored and they've been able to absorb a bit of speed work again. And at that point, it's like, all right, coach is fully back in the box. Um and we just keep ticking along as we need to with strength and conditioning upgrades, but the program's back in the coach's hands. So that should be – sh- and obviously the coach will be talking as we go around, what do you think about this? So it's just a two-way street. It's, it's um, There's no other way to do it than to be communicative. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it's it's great you can have that. And, and I know there would be some challenges at times because athletes and coaches, they would just want to get out there. But then having that dialogue where you can – get them back in the safest way and taking a long-term approach. Mm. Hey, um, your thoughts just, uh, and this is a question without notice, just wanted to get your opinion on the carbon shoes and the, the advent of technology, I guess, on running um, in the last sort of few years. I mean, there's there's been obviously recovery things like, you know, your Normatex and all that stuff has happened, but then you know, ice bars and there's been that evolution. But now you're starting to see that technology side, you know, going onto the feet and having a real impact on times. Do you have a view on um, on that evolution and, and where it's all going? 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, like yeah. a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I mean it's uh, I, 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 I just love progress. I think you can't stop it, and you know you can put parameters around it. But I, I'm a big fan of uh, of technology improvements. I think um, that's life, isn't it? We get better in every aspect, including footwear. So I've certainly never really dug a for far, a firm's uh, line in the sand around um, being a purist and, you know, not progressing to technologies. Uh, but certainly they've changed. My gosh, uh, I recall the early 2010s to 2015, it was the minimalist movement, right? Mm. It was get less meat under your shoe. Born to uh, run. And sort of, yeah. yeah. Born yeah. to run really spawned that whole mm. sort of, um, as you remember, that whole, uh, you know, minimalist movement. And uh, and then Hoka Oneone popped their head up and came out with this maximalist type shoe with all this stack height. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you wouldn't have picked that to do well in a million years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yet <clears throat> here we are in 2020 and uh, minimalist shoe sales have fallen off a cliff and maximalist, maximalist shoe sales are, you know, just on the rise and rise. And now you see every brand mm. adopting more meat under the shoe. And there are, it's such a big area. There are pros and cons. There are times when you might want to run it with less meat under their shoe, a more minimalist approach. And there are times when you would want to run it potentially with more meat under their shoe and let alone going anywhere near throwing carbon in the sole, um, mm. which, you know, in terms of the speed uh, effect, it's more about the, the foams use so much than the plate, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big time. It's a big change. And the one common, the one underlying commonality, no matter what phase in history are with shoes is the runner's body has to be conditioned for the given workload. Mm. They have to be absorbing the training and they have to have enough capacity to be able to absorb the training in terms of their, their body. So, so no matter what era we're in, those things never change, and they're the big drivers. So whatever happens with shoes will happen, uh, but let's not neglect the big, big things. Yeah, it's what I, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing where you know, you, just because you buy a pair of um, Nike five, you know, four percent as next percent, it doesn't automatically guarantee your PB if you haven't done any training. Um, and you know, and it's the same, it's same with any technology. You know, any of these improvements. I mean, there's been there was an evolution to racing flats back in the day and then people didn't just automatically run fast because they got racing flats they still had to do all the other things that that make you run fast so um but yeah it's, it is certainly interesting times i know as a smaller guy i've been enjoying the sack art because i'm in uh <laughs> i've been able to grow a few inches uh, having the pockets and the, the extra extra foam in the shoes but um yeah, I just, yeah. hey we'll, we'll probably just um i think we'll, we'll just see if we've got another question come in but other than that, mate, um, I know your podcast is very popular. That's going really well. I wanted to – I'll just bring down this slide just so people can have a look where they can follow you. Um, so you've obviously got your – yeah, your, the Physical Performance Show, which is a fantastic podcast, and then you're, you've got a book out as well. Like, you're everywhere, mate. Oh, it's <laughs> – just uh, probably channeling my ADHD, Zach, uh, <laughs> into various projects. Um, but yeah, the podcast is a weekly, uh, weekly show, Zach, which is 
been going for about four, four and a half years. And the big passion there is just to share learnings. And so we we bring in expert um, commentary around different themes, whether it's running biomechanics or tendon rehab or recorded an, ep- an episode today around the science of breath. What can we learn around breathing as runners and can we train our respiratory muscles to make a difference? So interesting stuff. So, mate, yeah, that goes out every week across all the normal platforms for, for podcasts, the physical performance show. And uh, I try and run a bit of a Q&A every Monday evening over on the Facebook page, uh, just my name there, Brad Beer, and, and try and pop out some hopefully uh, helpful uh, content as I can on Instagram. So, And then the, yeah, there's the book, which is a few years uh, young now, if you like, and in its second edition, you can run pain-free, which at the time was the conglomeration of the key messages I felt like I was sharing when I commonly at that time in my career and I feel like it's time to uh, almost upgrade that and uh, get contemporary with a few other messages so hopefully working on something again soon yeah awesome no I really appreciate you jumping on Brad it's uh, I know there's a lot I mean there's a lot to cover but I think it's just good to get in and, and talk about these things and people can and obviously get in touch with you your website's got a lot of information um, on the Pogo Physio side and you're obviously doing consults as well uh, online as well during these times. So you're doing a fair bit around that as well. Yeah, Zach, uh, online consults, certainly something that I've enjoyed doing for many years, even pre-COVID. But yeah. the big reason they're so effective is running injuries as long as an accurate diagnosis, which honestly 90% of any diagnosis will be found in the story because a bone's going to behave a certain way, a tendon's going to behave a certain way. And hands-on therapies can be useful for reducing symptoms at times, but the real rehab is in the strength and conditioning. So that can be easily done online via app, app technology with exercises, et cetera. So, so but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a new world we live in, isn't it, where just this week I've spoken to people in Chile, New Zealand, France today, uh, America. It's, it's an international globe, which I think is exciting because there's, there's just, you know, we're – there's nothing in terms of information that we can't get our hands on these days. Mm, mm. And it's just great that, you know, the sport is growing. There's more people running. You can see, as we, we touched on earlier, the, the, the participation rates are through the roof. And, and hopefully, you know, events can get going again and we can see, continue that boom. But at least now we can still run and hopefully the tips and, uh, you know, the information you imparted tonight um, will help a few more people out there to continue to run pain-free. Yeah, that's great, Zach. Well done to run to PB and uh, and all the crew and the great team you've got there. These things uh, take a bit of work behind the scenes, so uh, good on you guys for for prioritising this for your uh, for your crew. No worries, mate. Yeah, and hopefully you can get up to the Gold Coast soon enough, and uh, yeah, catch up and, and have a beer. <laughs> yeah, well, let's all look forward to twenty twenty one Gold Coast Marathon. Hey, I mean, uh, yeah, how good will that start line feel when we all get there? Hopefully, twenty twenty one. Yes, I think we're all going to have a real uh, appreciation for the Gold Coast Marathon again, for sure. For any, for any event, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> all right, mate, you take care. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. See you, guys. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. As always, stay tuned to the Run to VB socials as we bring you more interviews um, and keep up to date with all announcements 
um, and any upcoming live events. For now though, please enjoy the rest of your run. <laughs> 